Welcome to the weekly Mission Red Bank podcast, helping the body of Christ build itself up together in love. Last week, Abbot Chris came here and he walked us through part of Acts 6. And there we learned of a new way of caring for one another being created and embraced by Jesus' leaders. The infrastructure and the creation of the office of deacon so that we could become the kingdom of priests that God has ordained and created us to be. Today I'm going to take a step back into Acts 5. And we're going to look at two pictures that are intended to be juxtaposed or put against one another. It's a picture of the earliest days of our people, so there's a problem that we're going to see, and there's a good thing we're going to see, and these things are still present and evident with us today. St. Luke is trying to encourage and caution us to freely soberly and completely go all in with following Jesus and seeking his kingdom first in all things. As was said by an anonymous person years ago, half measures in this avail us nothing. It's a hard message, but it's intended to be good news, like medicine is good when we're sick. So let's pray and look at it. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of each one of our hearts will be pleasing to you, King Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. And in the name of Christ, I humble myself and bow and ask that, Holy Spirit, you will cast away the enemy and all that he does to clog our ears, make our hearts hard, and make us afraid to hear the truth. Help us hear it. We pray, good and loving King. Amen. So I'm going to go back into Acts chapter 4 and then come into Acts chapter 5. And so you know, as Jesse said, when we met and talked about it, a group of us this week, this is one of those places where chapters and verses in the Bible don't really help us. The accounts weren't written that way. That was put together categorically, not by the original authors, but put together so that we could try to track with it and walk with it and study it together. But this section from Acts chapter 4, rolling into 5, is one section. You can tell because the first word in chapter 5 is but. It's a continuation of the story. All right? So here we go. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it all at the apostles' feet, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him. And brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There was not a needy person among them. What a stunning description of the church. How amazing would it be 
if this were said of us today. Think about this. Think about it. What if you knew of someone who was going through, had just been through a nightmare situation, a terrible situation? How compelling would overhearing this conversation be? I can't believe everything they've come through. How did they get out of that? Well, they're followers of Jesus, and all of his followers think corporately when it comes to serving and caring for one another. You mean like a cult? No. They're fine with diversity and letting people make their own choices. They just really look out for one another. If a need comes up, they look for how they can take care of it together. How do they treat others? You know, people who maybe don't think like they do aren't part of their group. Really well. They say that God tells them to love neighbors like they love themselves. I think it's actually a really big part of their faith. It's a really big part of how they worship God. What if that were the baseline understanding in every article about the church? But it's not, is it? And before we get frustrated with the church... God has come today by the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with the church here. If if that were the baseline understanding, we'd all look a lot more like Barnabas and apparently like most of Jesus' earliest followers. These people had this corporate mindset and compassion that led them to look out for one another in beautiful, life-cultivating ways. To where Paul was comfortable to say, don't just consider your own needs, but attend to the needs of others. Consider others as better than yourselves. How ridiculous. But it's what he said. This is what it began to look like when Jesus returned to God the Father and sent God the Holy Spirit to come and dwell among his people. It was a precious and powerful new reality meant to advance God's kingdom. A kingdom that would look like the life of Jesus in the world. That's why we're called the body of Christ. It is not an emotional tattoo that we have. It is a name of the bride. But there were contrasting pictures as well. Listen to what Luke writes next. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last 
and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him, carried him out, and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. A lot of people really struggle with this part of the story. Remember, it's not the only story. There are two stories meant to be put together to convey a message. And these deaths are so very unsettling. And as a result, we might try to bend the story to make it fit our acceptable understanding of God, a God I would worship, my God. Well, let me me just give you a little hint. My God may not be God. And if that's the case, I need to get over that. To my own peril, it may not be God. I think it's a mistake to bend the text. And it's a mistake that can cause us to change God's word rather than allowing it to change us. I am not wiser than God. I am not holier than God. I am not more loving than God. I am not more just than God. I don't know everything that's gone into this, and a lot of people have abused this text from both directions, using it as an instrument of fear to manipulate people to obey. That is not the point. And others have said, well, God didn't really do this, and that's not really the point of this. And I'm sorry, there is no way the church has read the text that way for 2,000 years. We have to do better than that. We need to get to what St. Luke was trying to say, and it's this. Followers of Jesus take the amazing gift of being a part of God's redemptive people seriously. Go all in to make it a part of your life versus embracing it as life is not the way. And to do so sends a message to the church and to the culture that's a lie. Luke is juxtaposing Ananias and Sapphira, their treachery and tragedy with Barnabas's honesty and generosity. And he's telling us twice something an early writer would do when he's trying to make emphasis. Tells us twice that great fear, awe, wonder of God came upon everyone who heard what happened. 
God, the Holy Spirit had come to live among his people, to move in and through them redemptively in his creation. Such a grace, such a precious and powerful reality was and is meant to advance God's kingdom through honesty and generosity and love, not be stopped by deceit and selfishness, things that are of death. We must take this to heart if we are going to claim the name. Think of the little dialogue that I read earlier. Listen again at the description. They were followers of Jesus and all his followers think corporately when it comes to serving and caring for one another. They're fine with diversity and letting people make their own choices. They just really look out for one another. If a need comes up, they look for how they can take care of it together. This is what we're to look like every moment of every day of our lives. This is Jesus' body in the world. This makes him look beautiful. God ordained one people a kingdom of priests, to be his dwelling place in the world. And we must take this to heart. And whatever you're hanging on to that says, don't meddle with that, let it go. There is nothing you possess that belongs to you. It belongs to God. Your very pulse right now belongs to him. If I sound like a fanatic, well, then Christianity sounds like fanaticism to you because this is what it meant to follow Jesus. So how, how can we get there? What can we do? And I think that's likely to be a very diverse expression, okay? And I want you to hear this before we go any further. Please hear me clearly. God is not angry and wringing his hands in heaven because we have a problem. Do you hear that? God knows we have a problem, but are you still breathing? Guess what? He is giving you an opportunity to repent. Amen? That is good news. We serve a God that did so much on our behalf that we can have such selfishness and such struggle within us. And he says, stop and follow me. And we go, I did it again. He goes, I, I'm aware. Stop and follow me. And he doesn't get impatient or frustrated because he's not insecure. He's God. So if you feel conviction right now, that's grace. That is a kindness from the Lord to say, repent. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. Let me give you three Simple things before we get ready to go on to the table. Has God provided you with what you need? If he has, then find ways to share your excess. All of us together. Are you aware of people in our midst who are in some kind of trouble? If you are, Find practical ways to help. If you're not, 
get involved enough to know what's going on in people's lives. Are you enslaved to debt or greed or some bitterness to such a degree that helping another person out like Barnabas did is just no, out of the question? Okay. If you are, God is saying, turn from that and follow me. I'm generous. Turn to the God who kept nothing back when it came to caring for us and be transformed into a people who live out his honesty and generosity. God ordained one people, a kingdom of priests, to be his dwelling place in the world. We must take this amazing gift to heart. We must take it to heart and let whatever impedes it be a weight that we throw off and move forward. Jesus didn't go to the cross because he was partially committed to God. He was all in, and we claim to be his disciples. If we claim to be his disciples, that means we are his Talmudim, the ones who live like the rabbi. He was all in. When God raised him from the dead, he ascended to the Father, and he sent his spirit. He sent him to empower and dwell in us so we would be all in. Like him. Be like Jesus. You don't hear in that big legalism and moral police chasing you down. You hear a call to honesty, to gratitude, to generosity, in spirit and in truth and in action to one another. He's called us to that, not some fearful, selfish hoarding and stepping on others to make our way, a life with our hands closed. He's called us to a life of open hands. We were, we were at some friend's relative's house hanging out, and these were people of, who had wealth, and they had this great sign above their fireplace. It said, if God gives you much, build a bigger table, not higher fences. I get that. Right. So if you feel the conviction, as I do, praise the Lord. Amen. Worship the Lord for that conviction. This is God's kindness calling us, leading us to repentance. So now I want to come to a time where we embrace this. Come to a time where we embrace it and confess our sins before God together. A time when we break honest. Don't shrink back. Let's stay the course. Father, in your beauty and majesty, your power, your love, your holiness, your perfection, our own sin is ever more apparent. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. We humbly come now asking you to cleanse the thoughts of our hearts and minds and to speak to us, to speak through us the truth, the 
truth that if we are closed-handed, Father, it is because of a lack of love for you and a lack of love of neighbor as self. So lead us now by the power of your Holy Spirit and hear this confession of your people. Be quiet for a second, and then I'll call us to corporate confession. In your time of quiet, break honest with God. been listening to the Mission Red Bank podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Mission Red Bank or have questions about what you've heard today, you'll find us on Facebook. Grace and peace to you, and may God's blessings surround you.